Welcome to the Gamers Inn. Come on in, pull up a chair next to the fire. It looks like you've had a long journey. I'm your host, Jocelyn, and joining me as always is my co-host, Ryan. Did you miss me? I did. Welcome back, Jocelyn. I'm so happy (laughs) to have you back. Uh, I I mean, obviously, huge thank you to everyone who guested uh, over the last month. I know we had a, a cavalcade of guests. And you had some awesome guests. Yeah, thanks everybody for filling in. Yeah, yeah, it was good. And, uh, you know, we did have one guest that kind of like really tore apart the intro a little bit, got really confused about like the possessive and gamers in. And was it an in for gamers or a, 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 an in run by gamers? It was very it was a, it was a bump in the road there. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's it, I think I think most folks expected Crofton to to question the intro. I didn't rewrite it, though. I remember. I remember way back when we first named the show (laughs) you working in social media and you taking it to like your copywriter at work (laughs) and being like where do we put this apostrophe what is grammatically correct so you can just send crofton after that person whoever that was literally a decade ago (laughs) i think like the idea and i I, he kind of caught me off guard and and i do recall that that exchange like from you know, over 10 years ago of like trying to figure out the name. And I think the idea was basically, and I was basically like, look, this isn't me inviting like a, like a, a, a someone like an English major to, to uh, burst this, you know, decade plus bubble. Like let's, let's just keep living in, in, you know, the gamers in and, and, and podcasts or what have you. And, uh, and, and let it, let our brains um, be fine moving on with this. But like, I think the idea was always like, it is the, it, it is the inn that belongs to the gamers, right? Like, I think yes. that's the idea <laughs> and it, it checks out, but you know what, if it's, if it's wrong, as long as, as long as it, as long as it still makes somewhat sense, we can probably work with it. You know, it's fine. <laughs> well, we're not changing it now. We're definitely not sorry, changing but it. After a decade, I am stuck in my no. ways and you're just going to have to deal with it, Crofton. <laughs> yeah. I'm just more saying like, if it comes back, it's like, well, you know, if, if you really wanted it to make it sense like that, it should have been like, you know, the, the apostrophe is over here or over there, or, you know, not even there at all. Like, it's like, we could, we could figure it out. I, I think we, I think I can figure it out in Photoshop to erase an apostrophe or move it <laughs> if we had to. Um, because you can't put it, thankfully you can't put apostrophes in URLs. So like, we're good there. That's true. So anyways, long story short, welcome to the gamers and we're back everyone. <laughs> Hey. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I've been away for like a month now. And uh, during that time, so I didn't play too much stuff. So I've been pretty sick, but uh, I have been poking away at Witcher 3. And that game is so big. Oh, my God. Like, I knew it was big. And people say, like, you know, oh, I sunk 150 150 hours into that game. Plus, you know, blah, 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 whatever. And I'm just like... I don't know. For some reason, I thought maybe it was like Skyrim scale, but it feels even bigger than that. Like, I can't even remember the names of most of the little towns. Like, oh, my God, it's just it's so huge. And every little town that you go to has like notice board quests. It has like citizen quests where you're just walking down the road and all of a sudden there's like an exclamation mark person it's got like main story quest which is so extensive so you kind of like after the first little little bit it kind of opens the world up a little bit and you get like three different places that you have to go to to check 
and see, I mean, I'm worried about spoilers on like a six-year-old game, but um, <laughs> you're kind of like looking for a character and you have three different places to check. And I'm through like a place and a half. <laughs> and I think I've played for probably like 40 hours. It just keeps going and going and going and going. And I'm just like, man, oh man, this thing's freaking huge. And I know 100% why I bounced off it so much the first time is just because like there are so many characters and so many place names that if you aren't familiar with the world, like you, there's no hook whatsoever. Like the beginning is very much like you're with this person that if you don't know who they are, like they don't really mean much to you. And then you're trying to catch up with another person. And, you know, like it does, it is obviously The Witcher 3. So there's two other things that happened before it that I didn't play. Um, and everyone says, no, you don't have to play one and two. You don't have to. You can jump right into three. It's fine. And it's like, you can. There's some like hints and some explanation, but in general, they just kind of say, or they have conversations with you that assume that you know who they are, which makes sense, right? Like you don't want too much explanation because the people who did play one and two are going to be like, I know all this already. But um, coming to the franchise fresh, I bounced off it really hard. But then what really changed it for me was uh, reading the books and playing, or sorry, not playing, watching uh, the Witcher Netflix series. So it's like now I actually know who Siri is. I know who Yennefer is. I know like the locations and the other witchers and stuff like that. So like having those touchstones made me care about the the big grand story so much more. And then I actually got invested in it this time. So um, I've been playing quite a lot of it, but I'm st I still have so much more to go. Yeah, it is an immense game. And it was one of those uh, one of those games that I think was inspired by Skyrim and kind of ran with the idea of like, well, what if what if we were designing like every square inch of this map or or every square mile of this map? So basically, as you're progressing through the world, you're constantly discovering things along the path, and they've they've really crafted this world, this this lived in world that that it obviously has its patches that are that are just you know you got to get through this to get to the next area, but also there are these areas of like finding villages that are seemingly empty but also haunted um or you know coming across like you said side quests and stuff um even on the main path well yeah like there's all and even places that are like quote-unquote empty that don't necessarily have like a quest associated with them i've noticed that a lot of those like open areas will have almost like boss fights it's like i'm running through areas where it's like level like five and six quests and then there's like a level 25 griffin or something and i'm like holy shit i'm not supposed to be here run <laughs> <laughs> so it's like you know they still um fill the world with things it's like the opposite problem to what i had with zelda right is like that felt so empty and and this game had the potential of like being so big that there was a lot of empty space but they definitely made sure that they they filled it up with stuff and like you say you know you come across these little towns some of them are haunted. Some of them are taken over by bandits. And once you kill all the bandits, then, you know, it brings in different vendors and different quest givers. And it's just like the world seems to be constantly moving and changing, which is really interesting. Um, and there's a real sense of time, which I like as well. And it's possible to like fail quests 
which is kind of cool. So it's like you really have to think about what people are asking of you and, you know, like make sure that you pay attention to, you know, what time it is and count your days and things. And it's like, oh, I'll be back in a week to collect my money with interest. And then you go back like a week and a half later and dude's gone. It's like, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't count my days properly. And now I'm out however many gold that was. (laughs) Yeah. Is it gold in that game? What is it? I'm trying to remember. I think there's like florins, but that's uh, that's something that you have to convert into whatever the currency is. Oh, crowns, crowns, I think. I think they're crowns. I think that sounds right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've I've uh, I I played all of Witcher two. I played a little bit of Witcher one, and I think like my understanding of the whole franchise, at least when it comes to the games, is that the games take place within the books universe, but outside of the stories told within the books, especially one and yeah. two. Um, yeah. I think three is like, is it somewhat considered a sequel to the books or like a like a direct follow up? Because Siri is. Siri is like uh grown like grown up in She's grown in three. up, yeah, yeah, in three, yeah. And that's where it always kind of like it confused me in the in the terms of like the show where Siri is younger and then Siri is like, as far as I know, uh I could be wrong, but not mentioned at all in one and two because of um RPG amnesia type stuff. I mean, which like Geralt doesn't know Speaking what's going on. Speaking of amnesia <laughs> <laughs> made a lot of women angry apparently yeah oh yes no yeah yennefer is angry at me tris is angry at me i pissed off some other witch in the woods apparently because she was all like hey want to come to my cabin and i was like no i'm busy and she was like fuck you then i was like oops you meant like come to my cabin wink wink Yeah, and that game usually it's yeah, that's usually what it is. I mean, um, there's so much going on in that game. I don't even. I tried to play it. I went back to it when they when they did the next gen update, and it's like, like I mean, how did I get through this game when it came out? Yeah, that's why I decided to uh, to give it a shot is because it did have the update. So I will say, so I'm playing it on the PS5, and um, the graphics are not good. <laughs> like. And not in the way that it's like they're like low res or not next gen or whatever, but like I'm riding my horse and like textures will load in like under my horse's feet. And I'm just like, this looks really bad. (laughs) So I'm not sure if I have to like tweak some settings or something, but this is what frustrates me about consoles specifically is like I play things on consoles so that I don't have to tweak settings. The whole point is that everyone's supposed to be the same. I understand having to tweak settings on a PC because the platform differs so wildly like PC to PC, right? But if you're playing on a PlayStation 5 and I'm playing on PlayStation 5, they're exactly the fucking same. So like, why are there all these settings to tweak? <laughs> like graphically, shouldn't it just be PS5 settings? This is the best we have to offer. This is what our system can handle. Here you go. Like, oh man. Anyways, yeah. And so I think I have to go in and tweak some stuff. But uh, yeah, it it's it looks really bad sometimes. <laughs> it makes me laugh. Yeah, I never really had that issue on the Series X because that's where I was playing. Now, that being said, like, you're absolutely right. There shouldn't be too big a difference between the two. I know that there was a performance patch that just hit or is hitting um, the next gen edition because it was there was some issues there. But there's like essentially a few 
uh, performance modes. And I think one is like the lower frame rate, but with the ray tracing added. Uh, and I didn't play with that. I played with like, I always find like if you're like, especially if you're playing on console, if you're looking for uh, the performance mode, that's going to basically give you the most stable experience. I think, you know, a developer is probably going to put is is going to be targeting that like, you know, 60 frames and whatever it takes to get to that is is basically like reducing, you know, the the higher uh gosh, what are you what are the words? The words aren't coming coming to me tonight, but like reducing basically the resolution and and the textures that are like going to keep you from from hitting that target consistently, right? And I think that's usually for me like what keeps the game more stable is going with the performance mode that that Mm. prefers uh frame rate as opposed to like let's make sure we have 4k frame you know uh, 4k grass (laughs) yeah who cares about the frame rate just make sure the resolution's 4k and like has ray tracing like yeah that's where you're gonna run into probably more weirdness but hey uh that puddle when it loads it's great yeah (laughs) yeah so for me like i usually i find like i usually go with the performance mode that prefers the higher frame rate and i find with that like there's just less bells and whistles to load. So it's like there's less of a chance of, at least in my experience, there's not much breakage happening as you're playing the game. But, um, Mm -hmm. you know, it could also be like the fact that you're layering on all this new tech onto a game that that came out five plus years ago, right? Like that could also be the issue. Yeah, I think it did. I think it was a 2018 title, I think. Yeah, that man, so yeah, five that, and a half because it was probably a it was probably a holiday title, right? So oh, uh, no, wait, that's the sequel, 2015. So it came out in May 2015. Yeah, so seven years. Damn. Yeah. Now that's yeah. Witcher three on Steam is showing May 2015. That sounds about right. I mean, I remember like I remember that. I remember that year. Like it was, it was a big. It was obviously a big year, but like uh, for for The Witcher, you know, uh, this being this huge wait, and there was only four years between The Witcher two and The Witcher three, whereas right now we're like in year seven, waiting to see what they do next. Uh, although I think they're working on seventeen Witcher games now, um, <laughs> half of which starring Liam Hemsworth. Uh, so we'll see. Oh no, <laughs> we are not going down that rabbit not hole again. right now. No, 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 that's no. fine. But I, I am curious. So you, so it sounds like uh, my, my, what I've always heard about The Witcher Three, whenever it comes up in conversation, is like you kind of figure out whether you are into the game or not, and like, uh, like the bar. You know, they say like, oh, you have to play eight hours to really, to, to really get a get a feel for it. And I think like with The Witcher Three, it's usually like the Red Baron quest line that folks like say like, well, did you get to that part? The Red Baron stuff is the first of the three locations that you go to when the game kind of opens up a little bit. So I'm through that and I'm into the second location, which is like the the big main city where you're trying to like um, navigate through those four factions, like those four kind of like mob bosses <laughs> almost. Um, that's the part that I'm playing through right now. Um so I mean it's it's interesting. I like it. Um the uh, the combat's a little bit clunky, but again like, you know, it's a pretty old game at this point. I feel like games and their mechanics and stuff have come quite a long way in the last like 5 to 7 years. So I would expect that the combat would be different if The Witcher came out now than it did, you know, the, in 2015. So I can see the the potential in the combat, but like I'm playing through like because I know it's so freaking huge. 
I'm playing through on like story difficulty or whatever. And so like the combat's not that and and I I'm glad that I am because I wouldn't want difficult combat too. You know, like or I guess I wouldn't want uh, I already find the combat difficult mechanically, so I wouldn't want to layer like game difficulty on top of that. Does that make sense? Like I don't I already don't like the way that you push the buttons, so I wouldn't want to make that harder. <laughs> Yeah, and that was the thing about The Witcher 3 is like, uh, I love that game when it came out. And uh, when it came out, it was it, it controlled really bad. And they they addressed that through patches over the course of a year. But even going back and playing with this next generation update or a current generation update, um, those controls are still really clunky. Like this. Right. OK, uh, I'm glad it's not just me. I, I find the controls really clunky um, in combat and to the point that like, I don't use my crossbow because yeah, no, I can't remember the key press. And so I'm just like, uh, you know what? I'm just going to swing my sword. And I mean, the story difficulty is ridiculously easy. I mean, I kill basically anything in two to three swipes. Um, the boss battles are a little bit harder, but like, and I, and I enjoy the boss battles that give me like things I have to do. Like when you battle ghosts and you have to like put the trap down to make them become corporeal before you can hit them. Like mm. I, I like that combat, but you don't really have, um, or at least I haven't come across most of the, the things that I have fought so far have been human, which are just like brute force basically. Right. So yeah, like, but I do like the, the design of the encounters potentially, um, but yeah, the, the controls are really, really clunky, so I wouldn't want the combat to be any more difficult. Um, but yeah. And again, like I, I know that I don't have like, or I'm going to tire of this before I hit like the 300 hour mark. So I'm like, if I can just get through the combat in one try, then that's going to be good for me. <laughs> I want to keep the game going, I guess. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I think that would be my recommendation when playing this game is like, look, it can be easy to get lost in the side quests and be overwhelmed. But I always found that with that game, it's just best to focus in on the main quest and just progress through. And and unless you find something that is of interest in the side quest, like, yeah, certainly go do them because some of the side quests are really are really interesting but yeah some of the side quests are really cool and they've done a really good job of writing them i think like the um they're not all the same like some of them are mostly talking and kind of investigating and problem solving you know some of them are straight like beat em up type combat missions but there's quite a lot of variety and that's one thing that i've actually found is that i've gotten too like sidetracked on the side quests and now, so like I'm, I think level 15 and I'm going back to the main quest line, which is meant for level nine. And I'm just demolishing things. And I'm like, I'm way over leveled for this content. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> I did. I had the, the opposite problem that I did in Kingdoms of Amalur, where like the side quest is so compelling in Witcher 3 that I'm doing it all and I'm way over leveled the main quest line now. <laughs> yeah. Nah, well, you know, it's like, I think that, that like that game is is huge and again uh you're gonna i mean playing on story mode sounds so great because honestly like some of those boss fights where you would you know i I remember dying a lot and i think that's the thing is like at least the checkpointing in that game is good yeah the only one i've had problems with is um i came across a werewolf side quest 
Mm. Um, and that was in like the second or third town that you kind of come across if you're following the main quest line. And it is a side quest. Like you don't have to pick it up, but it does end in a werewolf fight. And I think I was like level five and the werewolf was like level eight or nine. And that was so hard. Like the level discrepancy the other way was ridiculous. I had like two hits I could take from him max. And he did. I didn't have like the there's like a werewolf oil or something you can unlock later in the game that makes it so they can't heal. So I just kept like beating him down to like one third health and then he'd like howl and heal back to full. And I was like, why is this happening? (laughs) (laughs) So it was so difficult. I ended up I ended up leaving. And uh, except I made the mistake of saving when my character was at the back of his cave right when he was spawning. So I had to like death run my way up to the ramp again. Uh, but yeah, I left and then came back when I was like six levels stronger and beat the shit out of him. It was so satisfying. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah uh, that was the only fight that I that I had trouble with. But I was way under leveled for it and didn't have the right like materials. And apparently werewolves are one of the strongest uh, bad guys in the game. But anyways. I don't want to take it. I feel like I've already been talking about this for like 45 minutes and everyone's like, Joss, we're glad you're back. But also, this is a very old game. What are you doing? <laughs> well, oh. it's, it's been made new again with, with the new update. <laughs> with the updates. Yeah, I guess so. I guess. And it is new to me. So, yes, uh, I hope you guys <laughs> liked this little Witcher 3 aside or throwback. <laughs> but uh, what have you been up to? What have you been playing? Well, I mean, <laughs> it, is, it is kind of. Uh, funny that you'd say you felt bad talking about an old game for for 20 minutes, but I'm going to talk about these even older games for like 30 minutes. So let's start talking about <laughs> Game Boy and Game Boy Advance games. Oh my god! <laughs> being added to the Nintendo <laughs> Switch Online service. Uh, no, I will be. I will be quick. I mean, here's the thing. Like, um, it should come as no surprise to folks at home that Ryan is subscribed to the maximum ultra tier of Nintendo service, which is still less expensive than uh, all the other offerings uh, available from from other competitors. Yeah, I got my like renewal notice or something and it was like uh, your Nintendo family plan or whatever is going to renew for another year. And it was like twenty five dollars or something. And I was like a month, right? Yeah. <laughs> like This can't be what it actually costs. <laughs> yeah. But it is. Thanks, Nintendo. Yeah. And and again, like, I think that, um, you know, a year ago when they announced the expansion pass to their subscription service, like, oh, I got to pay extra for N64 games and Sega Genesis and like some DLC. And I mean, you know, again, I always said like, well, you know, they'll add to it over time. And um, uh, we've seen with the Nintendo Direct that er aired earlier this month, they're continuing to offer exclusive experiences to that expansion pass tier with uh, the Game Boy Advance games are available um, to the expansion pass, whereas the Game Boy games are available to all Nintendo Switch online subscribers. So like they they will continue to add value to it. Uh, it, it just takes time. It takes Nintendo time, which is even worse. You don't know when or what they're going to add until the month uh, that month when it arrives. So it, they have gotten better in like kind of previewing you know, the next six months of like, here's the stuff we're, we're probably going to add. So like, please look forward to that. And, um, like they've gotten better at it, you know, but I think the biggest advantage is that it costs much less than, than the competitors. So I, I feel like you don't necessarily have to, you don't have to worry that you're not getting the value. Cause I think you already are. Like if you're a Nintendo fan and you like the old Nintendo games, like 
those apps work so well jumping in and the emulation is really good and the save states and stuff like none of that is going to surprise you when you jump in and it's like it's it's a really solid offering of like classic nintendo stuff um but with these with these offerings of game boy and game boy advance i'll say this like game boy probably uh like it's very to me it's very similar when you compare game boy and game boy advance to the nes and the super nes whereas like the nes is fun to go back to from a nostalgia point of view but like the games aren't like there's like three or four good games and they all feature mario right like you have mario one two and three i feel like those are the good nes games i mean am i i could be wrong maybe maybe i'm wrong i don't know well i mean the fact that you're not talking about legend of zelda i feel like i have to call a flag on that play (laughs) is that first zelda game good though like is it i i mean i i'm not good at it maybe that's the problem maybe (laughs) yeah it's probably the problem i'm i'm not gonna fault zelda for that i'll fault I'll fault me. Like I've always been bad at NES games, but I really felt like the jump to the Super NES was I mean, like, they're oh. punishing for sure. <laughs> yeah, like it's the Dark Souls of the of the 80s, but uh I don't know. But um but I think that uh I think when you compare that to the SNES where it's like, "Oh, we've seen a leap here." Like all of a sudden you've got a lot of great games and uh, for me they feel like very playable <laughs> as opposed to some NES games which are like, "This is really cool, but I'm going to go back to the Super NES app. Um, and I think it's very similar here with the Game Boy and the Game Boy Advance. Like, I have a strong nostalgia for the Game Boy, but I will admit, like, the offerings that they have, you know, for the initial launch are very good. I mean, they've got the fact that they got Tetris in there is actually pretty surprising. Um, obviously, when I think about Game Boy, I think Tetris. So it's interesting to see that they got that. But, like, uh, you know, it's it just feels like one of those ones that would be tough to to bring back um considering it is like like tetris is a weird one right like it feels like they never really go back with tetris it's always like you're always moving forward with tetris with like well what's the next version of tetris i think the current like sort of hotness for tetris is like the tetris effect and they they seem to be stuck in that one like with all the tetris effect uh sequels and stuff they've been making or or re-releases but um they've got the original tetris for game boy um you know, for me, like I remember playing a lot of like Super Mario Land 2. That one's in there. Like a lot of nostalgia for that one. But like again, compared to the Game Boy Advance, like I think the Game Boy Advance is like really where you get into the really fun and well-playing Nintendo portable games, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you've got Minish Cap, which is a, which is a Zelda game that I've I've not finished. Yeah, I've never played that one. I didn't have a, a Game Boy or a Game Boy Band. I think the first one I had was the 3DS, I think, was my first portable Nintendo uh, platform. So, yeah, like the all of this stuff, like all of these games are very much like I, I missed out at the time. But I'm I'm curious, though. So you're playing Game Boy and Game Boy Advance titles. Are you playing them like in Switch portable mode or up on the TV or how how are you playing this? Uh, I've been playing them in docked mode, yeah, mostly. So like they are uh, blown up on the big screen, and you know they look uh, like you know you kind of think of like you you think that when and and again I don't know the technology behind it, and and uh, honestly, uh, someone else could probably explain a lot better. But you always imagine like okay, you have this like post postage stamp size screen of the Game Boy, and then you blow it up on the TV. You just expect it to look like 
absolute garbage. Yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't. Look, well, it looks great. kind of what I'm getting at is like, how does it look? <laughs> or are you playing it portable? And even then, like, obviously, the screen on the Switch is probably four times bigger than the screen on the original Game Boy. So, like, does it translate well? <laughs> no, it, it translates uh, really well. I, I mean, I think like when you... I'm always surprised when you have, you know, emulation games, whether they're run on, you know, uh, the, the Super NES minis or or this the Nintendo Switch or what have you. Like, I'm always impressed in how they look like when they're when they're on the big screen and, I, and whether that comes down to the emulation software or 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 the the actual like game itself that they're emulating that that brings it to the big screen in that way. Like, it looks really good. Like, it looks how you would you would imagine it would look on the small screen and of course it's blown up a bit like there is a translation from what it probably looked like on your game boy advance to the big screen um but uh yeah it looks good like again like it's not if you can you put it side by like for example if you put it side by side like Link's awakening on the game boy which is on the service to Link's awakening the remake that they did for the switch like obviously like it's not even comparable but you know if you have nostalgia for these games and you want to go back to them, some of which the only way to play them, like Minish Cap, the only way to play them is right now on this Nintendo Switch service. Like there's no, I think maybe that they had Minish Cap on 3DS through their GBA virtual console. I think console. so. I think so. Yeah. I know that there's been a more recent way to play it. Yeah. I think that like that would probably be the last time you could officially play it, um, you know, obviously like emulation does not solely exist through the Nintendo switch online service. Uh, but yeah, like I, I think like with the GBA games, especially like, I think that's where the service really shines. And again, it like Nintendo's giving us another reason to upgrade the subscription to from, from a very like reasonably priced subscription to a, you know, fairly reasonably priced upgrade. Like it's not, it's not crazy expensive. And, and I think the offering of the, the family plan as well. And, and uh, there's just lots of options there. And I think, I think like, I think if you, if you have a Nintendo system and you're nostalgic for what Nintendo has offered previously, like the GBA, the Game Boy Advance is like such a great system that has a lot of great titles. And for me personally, like it, it was a big system for me you know growing up like the game boy was was huge don't get me wrong with like pokemon and i'm looking forward to when they eventually make a big deal about putting you know red blue yellow uh, silver gold um crystal all the og pokemons <laughs> exactly like they'll and you know they'll do it and they'll make a big deal of it and it'll be it'll be huge when they do it uh, again because they've done it before so like that'll be a big addition but i think when it comes to the game boy advance like there are so many like titles that just instantly come to mind for the gba that that i'm looking forward to booting up again like you've got you know the two metroid games one of which they've already they've already said is going to be coming with with metroid fusion and um the first fire emblem game there's a couple of those on the gba uh and they've oh golden sun like again like those games, Nintendo has never acknowledged them since they came out, like almost, you know, over two decades ago. And all of a sudden now it's like, and Golden Sun's going to be on the subscription service. I'm like, oh, man, that's great. Can't wait. So it's like there's so many 
great GBA games. And again, they play really well and they have all the features of the other emulation stuff that Nintendo Switch Online has, like the, you know, quick uh, save and load snapshots where you can have up to four save points. You don't have to save within the game. You can just like create snapshots and close out of the game. Um, The rewind feature, which almost feels like cheating, um, <laughs> you know, playing WarioWare, I try not to do it. So WarioWare, uh, for those who are unfamiliar, is like it's like Nintendo made this what they call a micro game thing, where it's like a bunch of like little. They're not mini games; they're smaller than that. They call them micro games, and they're like five seconds each. It's usually like one or two actions that you have to do, usually one, and it's just a quick little game, and then you're on to the next. And it's about you know quick keeping up the pace, go 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 doing all these little micro games. And again, like it feels like cheating to rewind, but sometimes you make a silly mistake. It's like, no, I'm not starting over. I'm going to use. <laughs> you can't literally one button press and you need to undo it. <laughs> it like, you know what? It, you had one job, one job. That's it. <laughs> push A. <laughs> no, you're right. A hundred percent. I deserve, I, I deserve that a hundred percent. But at the end of the day, uh, the feature is there and I use it sometimes. And it's, again, I'm not going to say it feels feels right. It's It definitely feels weird. It feels like cheating, especially in that game. Um, also feels cheating. Like I think the other one they have is uh, uh, Super Mario Advance 3. No, Super Mario Advance 4, Super Mario Brothers 3. It's super confusing the way they, uh, the way they did that. But they re-released all the Super Mario Brothers games on GBA and I think they started with Super Mario World. I can't remember how the numbering got off to such a weird <laughs> weird start, but like um it feels it feels almost like cheating there where you like you miss a jump or you hit an enemy just wrong and you lose your uh you lose your like leaf power up and it's like, "Well, you know what? I could just rewind and do that jump just a little bit better." And uh <laughs> you know what? Again, like it feels like cheating but the tools are there and it works really, really well. And, you know, I've always, I've always been a big fan of what Nintendo's done with their, their online service. I think that, you know, the alternative being like, I just rather buy the game that I want. It's like, how many times have we bought those virtual console games like Mm -hmm. on multiple platforms? And I know the drip feed of content, like into the, into the virtual or, or sorry, into the switch online, subscriptions has been like almost it's been an unbearable weight like they've they do like we don't even know what the cadence is going to be for the game boy and game boy advance games um for the nes and super nes it was like two games per platform a month uh and then they i think they kind of hit the cap with what they could do with those platforms and then the n64 has been one a month which has been like man if if you get a bad n64 game it's like you're waiting quite a while for the next one and um, there aren't a lot of great, like the N64 game, uh, early 3D stuff, you know, I think you have to have. It's hit and miss. <laughs> it's very, it's very hit and miss. And I think it's similar to the NES era where it's like you, if you have the nostalgia for it, it can be fun to return to those games. But I think there are few N64 games where they are legitimately fun for for any time. Like I think the ones that come to mind are obviously Yes, this time, The Legend of Zelda, Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask, Super Mario 64. Like, those are the big ones that mm-hmm. come to mind. Um, the Mario Karts, I would yeah, say. 
Mario Kart, Mario Kart for sure. You know, I liked Wave Race. I returned to Wave Race on the 64 service and it, it was a it was Wave Race, you know. But again, like I have that nostalgia for for Wave Race and but uh but I think similar like if they ever did GameCube, I think it would be a similar approach like you know, second generation of 3D games, like there's a lot there's a lot more hits than misses, uh, especially if you have nostalgia for that platform. But um, uh, I would th- just throw so much money at that if they brought back Buffy. Yeah, I <laughs> mean, it's like my number one game from that. <laughs> it was that <laughs> it was and Hobbit, right? Game. Like, yeah, that a Hobbit. And Hobbit yeah, yeah, yeah. That's some early uh, TGI stuff there for you. I remember talking about the uh, the old GameCube, but yeah, I mean, I think in terms of you know, returning to previous games and nostalgia. I think Nintendo obviously has like the biggest catalog of, of games to go back to. And, and even when they've only, you know, done like, um, you know, the NES through the, the GBA in terms of their past platforms, uh, that's still such a huge catalog of games to visit. And by no means are all the games there, especially ones that are, you know, beloved, you know, classics. Like I don't even think Super Mario RPG is on the service yet. And that was a, a big SNES game, but is obviously tied up in a lot of like weird, you know, licensing and, and rights stuff with, uh, with Square Enix and whatnot. But yeah, I think, uh, like, again, I'm looking forward to seeing how they go with the GBA games. Cause I think that's where I'm most interested in. I think there are most definitely great Game Boy games. And I think, for folks that have nostalgia for it are going to be having a lot of fun to jump back in. I know I've had fun with it, but like, I think in terms of like, I want to replay this or I want to replay or play this game for the first time. I think that's where the GBA is probably going to, you know, be, be the best, uh, the best place to return to. Like I can see myself probably playing and, and finishing Minish Cap. Cause I never did. I never did play it. So like, it's one of those mm-hmm. gaps and, in uh my legend of zelda uh experiences right like I, i've just never played Yeah, and it. i think it's a it's a very uh well-regarded zelda title as far as i kind of remember i i feel like zelda fans tend to really enjoy minish cap so it's one of those ones that the same i've never played it but um might be might be fun to get into but yeah, I'll have to take a look because it sounds like there's there's quite a lot on offer on Switch right now in terms of all of those nostalgia titles. So especially with like Game Boy and Game Boy Advance being like such a huge gap in my Nintendo background, yeah. <laughs> there's probably a lot on there that I'd really enjoy. Yeah. And I mean, you know, one last thing for for the Game Boy stuff and then we move on. But I think like the the most interesting thing to me and again, like Nintendo could easily just be like, here are the games. We'll add a couple new ones each month. Please stop asking for Game Boy stuff. Because <laughs> Game Boy has been, people have been asking for it for a while. And, and it's been in the code, like, you know, hinted at strongly. Um, but the really cool thing they did, which I they didn't have to do, but um, the Game Boy obviously has, like, a lot of variations within the platform with the Game Boy original, the Pocket, and the uh, Game Boy Color. And all of them have different, um, you know, color palettes or, or filters. So... In this case, uh, in the emulation software, you can choose what filter you want to use, whether you want to use the original Game Boy, the pocket, or the color filter. And like it, again, it replicates what they look like depending on which type of Game Boy you played on. And I remember personally, like we had the original gray giant 
<laughs> rectangle Game Boy. Um, and I remember what games looked like on there. And then we, someone, I remember it vividly. We got Pokemon Stadium, in which case, like, the Game Boy pack came out of the Game Boy and was put into the N64 thing. And then some, someone, I don't know who it was, me or my brothers or, or what have you, stepped on the Game Boy, broke it, so the screen cracked. Oh. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, the solution was there was... You know, I, I had three brothers, so the solution was like, well, we'll just split the cost on uh, a Game Boy Color. And we went out and got like a lime green Game Boy Color. I think it was like 25 bucks each, even though like it was really me that played it the most. But I somehow convinced my brothers to to chip in. Uh, we we never did find out who stepped on that Game Boy, but uh, we all took it in stride and, and replaced it pretty quickly. And so, yeah, I, I remember playing a lot of games on the original Game Boy, but then obviously we did we did get the Game Boy Color eventually. And like, it's really cool to be able to go in and be like, oh, I remember playing this game on the Game Boy original. I can go into the software, change it to Game Boy original. Oh, but I remember playing this one with the Game Boy Color and I can go ahead and change that. And it's it's just really neat. Again, like for the most part, yes, you're want to you're going to want to go in, change it to Game Boy Color. So you have like that color palette as opposed to just like, but it's nice yeah. that they're pushing all the nostalgia buttons, really. Exactly. Yeah, they <laughs> like went they're in. They're giving they you effort. everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but like I said, like I think for the most part, you're probably going to want to eventually just settle on the Game Boy Color filter because that obviously applies, like, well, it, it applies a, a color filter to everything, um, and it looks much better. But like a lot of the games, even even the box art for the games uh, within the software shows like. Um, it shows the box, the original box art for the game. And and that'll show you like whether it launched for the Game Boy original or the Game Boy Color, because that was reflected on, on the box art too. So again, like they really, they really go for it. And again, like this isn't going to be anything new for folks that have played with the, the other Nintendo switch online offerings. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still like, again, all these additions are like, okay, this is great. Now, finally, finally, the next step is GameCube. Okay, that's where we go from here. It's got to be. It's got to be. be. There's nowhere else. Where else do you go? (laughs) Honestly. So, yeah. I want to say a very special thank you to our February patron, Grant. Thank you so much for supporting us over at patreon.com slash the gamers in. We're also in the midst of a TGI game club right now. So if you're into Jedi Fallen Order, that is our current TGI game club game. Thank you so much to Travis, who is our current game club leader. Uh, And you guys are going into your fourth milestone. Are you playing along with them this time? Yes, I am. I uh, I originally played Jedi Fallen Order at launch, so um, similar to God of War, in anticipation for the sequel coming out at the end of April, we're we're going through it again, and I'm I'm having a blast. Like it was, it's honestly like probably the first Souls game, Souls esque combat game that I, I I really enjoyed and ended up finishing, and also like one of the better Star Wars games that I've played. Like I think it's the best Star Wars game I've played. So yeah. It's it's a lot of fun, and we're 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 moving through it at a quick pace. So it's been a lot of fun so far. Uh, when does the sequel come out? Uh, are you guys going to finish in time? We are. So originally, it's funny. Originally, we went right from Portal Two into Jedi Fallen Order with the idea like we're really going to have to push this one to be ready by. Um, I think it was originally coming out mid March, and then it got delayed to the end of April. So we're like, well. Oh. <laughs> We can take our time. I was lucky. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, it, we were kind of thinking like, well, do we just do we just delay a couple of weeks? Because, you know, we definitely don't need an additional six weeks. You know, it's great that Respawn needs that time and is going to get it because EA is not known for delaying their games out of fiscal. 
um, you know, Anthem or any Bioware game that came out in the last couple generations. Uh, so it's nice that Respawn is getting that time. But yeah, we we obviously won't need it for Game Club. We'll probably finish with with weeks to spare. But um, yeah, yeah, it's uh, I am looking forward to that sequel. I was a little bummed when it got delayed, but honestly, I, I'd much prefer the game to be to be delayed than than launched uh, broken. <laughs> yeah, then cyberpunk it up <laughs> or anthemed or, uh, or the, yeah. yeah, so many um, so many examples lately. I feel like, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, well, that's awesome. I hope you guys have a great time. Again, you can check that out in our gamers in discord, which is bit.ly slash TGI discord. Uh, and I mean, I feel like we should have talked about this in, in a, with Game Boy, but uh, Apple TV is getting there has, I guess, dropped the official trailer for Tetris. And um, at first I was like, why are they making a show about Tetris? Like, what is this? This seems ridiculous. And then I watched the trailer and I was like, jaw on the floor. <laughs> like, did you know this Tetris backstory, Ryan? That it would all this like Soviet Union intrigue and like the lengths this guy went to to get Tetris onto the Game Boy? <laughs> I didn't know any of this. <laughs> yeah, like I'm I'm not gonna sit here and say, yeah, I knew I knew the whole thing. I knew I knew parts of it. Like I knew the story was messy in the sense that um back uh, my understanding was in those days, something created by a Soviet Union, you know, uh, citizen was Soviet was, national. Yeah. Yeah. Owned by the government. Right. Like it was essentially like uh, the rights. I think the right like there was a big conversation of like, um, does the creator get the true like, uh, you know, um, the, do they get do they get the compensation that you would normally get if. For example, if Tetris was made, you know, elsewhere in the world. And I think like that was part of the, that was part of like the story behind it. And and also leading into like where Tetris is now. Like, I don't even know the history behind that. I know there is like a Tetris holding company. And I think the original creator is involved in in some regard to that. But like also bringing Tetris out of the Soviet Union and launching on Game Boy. Like that was a big deal. Like Tetris packed in with Game Boy was also like like a huge deal an immense, you know, a big reason for that platform doing so, so well at launch. But mm -hmm. yeah, like, uh, the, 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 obviously this Apple TV trailer, like it, it's, it's running with the story. They're, they're embellishing a lot of stuff, but like, honestly, like the core story there of, of them working with the Soviet Union to bring it, to bring it to the rest of the world. Like that's a core part of it. So, um, yeah. yeah. Like, and I had no idea that like, that was the story of Tetris. I was literally like, okay, they've taken gaming, like, um, whatchamacallits, too far now. <laughs> like, we are adapting <laughs> games that don't need to be adapted. I was like, yeah. how are they going to adapt Tetris? What even is this? And then I was like, oh, it's not about, like, the game. <laughs> it's about, like, the game. I get it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it actually looks really good. So I think I'm going to go and check it out. But uh, yeah, that official trailer did drop uh, and you guys should check it out as well because um yeah it's such a cool it looks like such a cool story i'm really looking forward to it and if you told me that 24 hours ago i would have been like but <laughs> no yeah it looks really good and you know funny enough uh on twitter i did see uh someone had posted like um like what what an adaptation of tetris would have been like what the movie poster would have been and it's just like uh benedict cumberbatch like standing all like you know 
romantic comedy, you know, back to like a Tetris piece that has like a Pixar <laughs> face on it. And it was like Tetris, the film coming soon. And it was like, oh, I'm so glad That's we're not getting that. Actually amazing. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to dig it up. I'll send 10 it to you. Would watch no notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll send it to you. You can uh, you can see what could have been if Apple TV. Yeah, now, now I'm disappointed again. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Um, we also got some news out of Microsoft this week. They have now signed a 10 year deal to bring Call of Duty to Nintendo as well as a deal with NVIDIA GeForce Now, which is uh, cloud gaming for NVIDIA. And in this NVIDIA article, they said that there are 25 million. The first thing that struck me is 25 million and uh, GeForce Now subscribers. And I was like, what? <laughs> I couldn't even tell you what this service does. And there's 25 million people. And then it turns out that um, I have a GeForce Now subscription because... If you have the NVIDIA GeForce software, like if you've got an NVIDIA video card, then you are automatically like enrolled in their free GeForce Now service. So that's why it seems like there were at least 25 million was a much higher subscriber number than I thought. But if that's like people with NVIDIA video cards, that makes a lot more sense. But anyways... Uh, NVIDIA, I guess, was um, concerned about the Activision because this is all kind of coming out of the Activision um, deal, right? Is people are worried about Microsoft having a monopoly. And uh, so NVIDIA was specifically worried about the cloud-based gaming stuff that Microsoft is doing. So their deal with uh, NVIDIA is bringing Xbox titles over there, including all the stuff they'd get out of Activision. And then um, the 10-year deal with Nintendo is specifically for uh, Call of Duty. And so that's interesting because that's basically the same thing that we had heard about uh, PlayStation, and PlayStation has not agreed to that deal. So Microsoft has said that they will basically put Call of Duty on PlayStations as long as there are PlayStations to put Call of Duty on. And uh, yeah, it seems like they have also given PlayStation or given Sony the same 10-year deal that they've now uh, signed with Nintendo. But uh, yeah, Sony hasn't come to the table with uh, with the agreement yet. So they're trying to play hardball, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's it, this. So this is the deal that Microsoft had kind of put forward before Christmas and um nintendo had said that they would would be interested in signing and, and nvidia i don't think nvidia was part of the conversation but but microsoft has said like we'll offer it to anyone you know they might even sign a 10-year deal with with us to put call of duty on on the gamers in i mean we haven't had <laughs> call of duty on the gamers in a while i think i think actually nintendo has had call of duty on their platforms more recently than than we've had it on our platform but, um <laughs> We're here. Send it along. We'll, we can take a look at it. Have our, we'll have our folks look at it. Uh, but um, I think that uh, I, I think, you know, Nintendo signing this deal, it's a win for them because Nintendo hasn't necessarily had Call of Duty on their systems in a while. And I don't think they've necessarily been interested in, in it, but I don't think it I don't think it harms Nintendo to be like, yeah, of course, like you you can for sure. We're not going to stop you. We'll even sign. Well, yeah, this, exactly. You know. It's. It's kind of interesting because it's like anyone who really wants to play Call of Duty probably isn't going to play it on Nintendo. Like, I feel like COD 
doesn't necessarily like the switch is just a less powerful system right but the thing mm. is that we're we're talking about and have been talking about like what's next in the nintendo hardware ecosystem and what the switch 2 might look like and when we might be getting it and stuff so i think it's less about cod on the current system as it is for you know cod being playable on whatever's coming next for nintendo so i think that's really interesting as they've kind of like locked it in and they can maybe potentially now keep that in mind and maybe you know like i'm not saying you necessarily try to tweak your hardware for with one specific game in mind but i feel like a call of duty is more representative of a larger kind of performance ask from the community right like if you think about games that you play like cod it's a it's a first person shooter it's online it's multiplayer like that's a the pretty demanding game in terms of like tech specs right so if you know that your platform is going to play cod then maybe you take another look at your platform and be like hey if we can make cod work well on the switch 2 maybe that opens up the door for a whole bunch of other like online multiplayer games or first person shooters or, you know, like, or, 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 or these kind of like higher demanding, higher performance games. Like it's basically giving Nintendo a reason to try harder, I guess is kind of what I'm getting at. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, that I think that makes perfect sense. I would love to see, um, you know, the next generation of Nintendo hardware, basically come out and be like yeah we 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 bumped the specs so that we could get you know and i think i think when you compare like the nintendo switch to um where it launched and how it was kind of positioned close enough to the ps4 and xbox one for some of those titles to become cross-platform you know whereas Mm -hmm. previous years on the wii u and the in the wii they would have skipped the nintendo switch and i think call of duty was always the was always the holdout like I and I don't think it's impossible for shooters to work on Nintendo Switch I mean we see Overwatch 2 is launched there and I mean I I, as far as I know it's doing well and that's a cross-platform and I think that I think what was done with Overwatch 2 could be done technical wise with Call of Duty like it's not impossible uh but you're right like I think this is a 10-year deal that's the other thing we have to think about like this is a 10-year commitment to look at bringing call of duty you know day and date to the to the nintendo switch and this isn't something that's going to happen it's probably not going to happen for a while like of course like the 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 sale the acquisition has to go through first yeah and then the Which development is what a starts. lot of people are are i guess a little bit confused about is like how microsoft can be making deals for things they don't own yet and it's like well there's obviously going to be a caveat in the contract that says, like, assuming that the Activision acquisition goes through, then <laughs> this is what we're going to do. This is what we're committing to. And they have to make deals like this because of, you know, like the FTC and the I don't know what the I can't remember what the uh, equivalent is in Europe. But, you know, like when those agencies are looking at you and when your competitors are accusing you of trying to create a monopoly, a monopoly these are the kind of deals and contracts and things that you have to sign ahead of an actual acquisition in order to get all of the like trade commission and stuff to sign off. So, I mean, like, yes, technically they don't own Activision yet, but they're kind of like moving forward as if they are going to, which is just, you know, like 
how you do business, I guess, when you're a multi-billion dollar corporation. Not that I know what that's like. <laughs> no, we don't. I am not a multi-billion dollar corporation. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I think that these deals are uh, like in going with NVIDIA as well. Like I think the 10 years, yeah. a lot of people like who's playing Call of Duty who would want to play Call of Duty with a cloud-based service? And I'm like, wow. And you and I were talking pre-show. Like, I think we, I think, I think obviously Microsoft and NVIDIA have the numbers to show like that's that's a worthwhile deal. But also like I think we don't, we have the platforms to play these on, and of course we'd rather mm-hmm. play them. We're on. not the target audience. Yeah, it would be really um, interesting to to see like uh, what the numbers are on folks that are, that are looking to play, you know, cloud-based gaming. And and again, like if you just have a phone, like, you know, there are controllers that your Xbox controller can sync up to your phone and you can Mm -hmm. can play that way. And there's the backbone controller as well. That like basically turns your phone into a switch. Like there are so many options today that I think like for NVIDIA, it makes sense to say like, yeah, let's, let's have this deal. And the deal isn't just call of duty. It's also like, xbox yeah, pc games as well yeah yeah um that wasn't the case for the nintendo deal the nvidia one specifically mentioned that xbox pc games would be coming over as well which was a i think like that that specific deal not necessarily the nintendo one i think the nintendo one is more to like put pressure on sony but i think like the nvidia deal is really just to say like you can scratch that one off the list of things you're worried about the yeah the ftc and the the eu commission or whatever like that are having that have these, you know, uh, these points and concerns, which I think are valid to to point out. Because, like again, like if you, if Microsoft could go and say, like, well, we'll make this all exclusive, like they're saying they're not going to do that, and I think the actions of these deals show that they don't want to do that. And I think that's the whole point here is to basically show like some some faith, like okay, like you know, we are making these deals. We're going to address the cloud-based gaming one, which which was a concern put forward. And I think like 10 years is a long time, like for this tech to to really develop even further, like think 10 years previous to this, like cloud gaming was like, what was it? Like maybe there was on live, which was like really bad. <laughs> it did not work very well. We've yeah. come a long way, you know, and I think in 10 years we'll, 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 come even farther with this stuff so yeah i think maybe the the nvidia deal is actually the bigger deal than yeah. uh the nintendo deal today so yeah it's going to be interesting to see what happens because that nvidia deal does like you say cover more titles and stuff than the other one but i mean and it's also i think worth mentioning that like microsoft isn't doing this to be the good guy or to no. be necessarily on the side of consumers they're doing this to appease people and get their deal to go through right yeah and I mean, it's never going to hurt them to, to you know, expand the audience of their game, um, games, plural. I know that, like, I've seen a couple of articles as well, and it's not, I didn't put it in the show notes. It's not something we have to talk about in, in detail. But um, basically, it's just saying that Game Pass essentially, like, operates at a loss, right? <laughs> so I, I don't think that there's any problem expanding out to new audiences right like they want more players they want more eyes on their game and they want more people to give them money so i mean you know expanding out to other platforms and making things available to nintendo and sony and nvidia and whatever like it's only gonna end up being a net positive for microsoft right so yeah this is definitely obviously like their interest before ours but i think in this case um this does line up with the interest of the consumer so hopefully it works out well for everybody and uh 
Yeah, hopefully, uh, I'm sure a lot of people on Blizzard staff anyways are really hoping this deal goes through because, uh, man, oh man, they cannot stop putting their foot in their mouth. My, uh, there was a, a Q&A all-hands meeting this last week, and uh, yeah, man, Mike Ibarra sucks. <laughs> like, they just... Oh, they just can't help being assholes. And I don't understand. I mean, like, I hope for the dev's sake that this acquisition does go through and that Microsoft leadership is is different because, like, so I follow, obviously, since I've been, you know, doing podcasting on Blizzard games for 10 plus years now, I follow a lot of Blizzard devs on Twitter and other social media. And man, oh, man, they were angry after this meeting. And basically, like, they... So since the meeting, Blizzard has come out and said that their comments weren't specifically aimed at any one group. But given the amount of issues that they've had in uh, customer service and uh, QA over the last couple of years, particularly around um, customer service and QA forming unions within Blizzard, um, basically... Mike came out and said that those aren't real career paths, that they're not long-term, like, employment. And it's just like, I understand now, like, even more so, if that's your attitude towards QA and customer service, I understand why you ship with so many bugs now and why your customer service is so shit. Like, mm. if that's the internal attitude towards those two departments, it's no wonder you can't keep people. It's no wonder that they don't take like pride in their job. Like, man, oh, man. And I know some of those people are, like, working the hard. Like, we see stories all the time where they're working super hard. They get paid terribly. There was also uh, the profit sharing, I guess. They're, they're getting a smaller bonus than they were expecting. And he also stood up there and was like, well... This affects the executives, too. And it's like, okay, but like if you're getting a bonus based on your salary and, you know, like you're only getting 58 percent of what you were expecting, like that's going to impact somebody with a little salary a whole lot more than somebody with a really big salary. Like, come on, Mike. Jesus. It's infuriating. <laughs> He's just so out of touch. Like the whole executive at Blizzard is so out of touch. Yeah. And it always seems like, you know, they obviously they've they've replaced a lot of folks at Blizzard uh, higher up. And I mean, maybe they can't get anybody, I guess, decent to, to take. Or, well, they're, or yeah, they're the just job. they're replacing them with people who are just like the people they replaced. Like they're not making actual change. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and this is the thing I, I saw related to this. I saw a story that um, I think it's the CWA, which is like one of the bigger or the biggest uh, uh, video game union unions out there. And they they cut a deal with Microsoft. Again, another part of like trying to make the deal sweeter. And again, and we're not trying to make Microsoft sound like they're the 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 super nice you know video game giant out there because they have problems as well but like they they cut this deal where basically they have a like a they a new, like a neutral deal where the where they'll they won't they will agree to any union that forms like within the Microsoft umbrella like so if mm-hmm. if they form a union they they will acknowledge it and they will accept it and they will move forward with um 
Like they won't do what basically Activision Blizzard has been doing with their unions that have been forming, essentially fighting it tooth and nail, union busting, all that fun stuff. Mm -hmm. So Microsoft has basically signed this deal with the CWA to basically say like, hey, anybody who wants to union, we will formally acknowledge it. And I know there's like a technical term for it. And and that's where the CWA has said like, no, look, Lily, we want this Activision deal to go forward because it's good for consumers. Yes, but also good for the workers and good like for this workers. Yeah. Story specifically here is like if Microsoft buys Activision Blizzard King and it goes through Blizzard will be the whole thing will be unionized. I mean, the way this is going, essentially, that's what they're waiting for. Like I said, the, yeah. that deal goes through and they will organize. I can understand them not wanting to, you know, wanting to wait and see how the deal goes through, because honestly, like with stuff like this, like. I can only imagine how much worse it would get if they if they actually did like put forward like unionizing as a whole, right? Because I don't think they've quite gotten to that part. They've they've definitely organized. No, it's don't been get me wrong. it's been different. Yeah, it's been smaller departments basically in in satellite offices. So like um, the main Blizzard campus in Irvine hasn't unionized. It's um, I think a Diablo team, uh, Raven that I think either is or used to be Raven Software, um, and then well, what's the other one? Um, I feel like they're QA workers in like Austin, maybe. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There was there was two QA teams, I think, and. But yeah, they're kind of like little teams in in satellite offices. It's not the main uh, Blizzard campus. Yeah, but even then, Blizzard Activision Blizzard has said like their their response to that was like, well, they're such a small team; they don't represent the entirety of Activision Blizzard. Yeah. So like, why would we acknowledge it? And it's like, it's almost like if it was the whole thing, they'd say the opposite of like, well, you know, we can't. There's it won't work. It won't work. You know, and I, I think that again, like I. I, I don't get it. I almost I almost wonder, like, Microsoft must be sitting there and be like, look, if you guys could just not. Well, actually, I think stories like this probably <laughs> make it like, like I said, with the whole CWA stuff and, and uh, their deal with Microsoft and um, to recognize unions pretty much as soon as they're formed without without fighting it. It's um, this story like this is like, well, yeah, make the deal go through mm-hmm. and Blizzard will or definitely should be a better place because those workers who have are fed up with with the folks like Mike Ibarra who are like I don't know how you screw up a Q and A meeting so so badly but I mean yeah, yeah. well yeah. and I mean there's God. lots of there's lots of other pieces here too right so like Blizzard in their quarterly financials had their income nearly double it went up ninety percent. Like everything, everything. So Warcraft, Overwatch, and Diablo. And I'm sure Hearthstone as well. Hearthstone never gets mentioned, but for a while there, it was the only profitable Blizzard property. Anyways, that's a whole other like tangent. But uh, anyways, <laughs> this article specifically mentions Warcraft, Overwatch, and Diablo. Um, but yeah, so basically their sales and operating income nearly doubled. It went up 90%. And yet the workers are receiving only 58%. 58% of the bonus that they were promised. So it's like, how can you be like, okay, and and they're also being forced back to the office. So that's the other piece here is that every um, basically they're saying you have to stop working from home, even though they've shipped some of the most successful content in years uh, from home, now they're being forced back to the office. Yeah. So 
you know, kind of all those pieces coming together into what was a terrible uh, demoralizing Q&A. Uh, so, I mean, I don't know exactly what all the conditions are like and the, everything else over on the Microsoft side of things, but I'm hoping that this is just a, which is also why I find it wild that they're making any big sweeping changes, like forcing people back to work. Um, and, you know, like some people have suggested that maybe that um, looks better than firing people, but I still don't understand. Like if you can just like force people back to the office and have them quit instead, but it's just like, why are you even in a position where you're trying to force people to quit and lower your staff and lower your expenses by attrition if you've made 90% more money, <laughs> like you have so many dollars. Like, why are you looking to cut every single little corner and like nickel and dime your staff in these ways? Like it just blows my mind. So yeah. I don't know why you would kind of like force that kind of stuff going into an acquisition. And like I said, with the, you know, Microsoft Nintendo conversation earlier or whatever, like I'm not a billion dollar company. I don't know how to run a billion dollar company, but like, I don't know, like, does it make you more attractive or something to to be extraordinarily profitable? I mean, I guess it does. It kind of seems like a question that answers itself. But like, I don't know. Like, well, I can't imagine. Done. Like, yeah, like, I mean, they've already paid the money, right? Or they've already agreed on the price. Yeah. So like, uh, yeah, I don't understand why if you're, you know, less than six months out, we're, I guess, four months out now from the deadline, right? It's the end of June and we're at the end of February. So like, if we're that close to the deal going through, then why are you making big, huge changes that, you know, may not even be the way Microsoft is going to operate things? Like, I don't know how what Microsoft's work from home policy is or whatever, but they're such a big company. I can't imagine that they have a, a strict, like, go into the office policy. It yeah. just seems like that's backwards thinking and Microsoft seems to be a little bit more forward thinking than that. So like, I don't know why you'd kind of force this policy through at this point in time. Like if you're the head of Activision or Blizzard or King or whatever, like, aren't you just kind of sitting back and waiting for June? <laughs> like, yeah. why are you pissing off all your employees? Just stop. Like, could you stop making bad decisions? That's all we're asking, Blizzard. Just stop making bad decisions. Yeah. Jesus. Well, it's, it's just, it's ridiculous. really, you're right. It's super ridiculous. And I mean, you see these stories like Activision Blizzard, and then you see other stories like we, I think we had a story last week and there's been a couple since um, where Nintendo announced that they were going to be raising the salary uh, of older workers by 10%. Mm -hmm. And I thought like, oh, we'll probably get a follow-up story where there's like, you know, um, well, it's only for this specific these specific developers but no like it, it's it's that's what it was 10 percent, and i think sega and sega like the dreamcast <laughs> sega announced that uh they'd be raising salary of all their staff by 30 percent. you know to to help with inflation and um to keep their workforce strong because like they need developers to make games you know and nintendo especially is in this situation where like yes they're going to be looking at replacing the switch at some point soon because it has been around since 2017 um or no 20 2016 anyways it's been around for a while and it's hard to do that if you're losing staff because you're not paying them enough and i think yeah. this right here this specific story is like what what is the reason for doing this is because a hundred percent salary or uh income increase is sounds better than 90%, you know? And to me, it's, 
it takes a special kind of executive to sit there and say like, yeah, our income was 90% higher. It was than, up by 90%. was yeah. up by 90%, <laughs> but we are cutting uh, profit sharing, which was the number one reason to, I think, I think from what I've heard is the reason to to work at Blizzard because again they had that profit sharing thing and it helped mm-hmm. with the the general low pay. Yeah, exactly. Blizzard is notoriously low paying and you know like it, part of it used to be and they've lost so much of this now but it used to be just like the pride of working for Blizzard, right? And uh yeah, that that doesn't exist anymore and then the other part that was actually monetary was like you say the the profit sharing and especially when their their main campus is located in such an expensive part of California when you kind of factor that in it's just like I don't think they're going to have any workers left like I don't think they understand <laughs> Seems extraordinarily tone deaf um, right now, which, you know, again, it it seems like a lot of the decisions that we've seen out of Blizzard lately. I mean, there was when they did the huge layoff a few years ago, that was another like record. I don't even think it was a record breaking quarter. I'm pretty sure it was a record breaking year. And then they came out with hundreds of layoffs on the back of that earnings call. And it was absolutely wild. So, I mean, like this is very... I guess what we would come to expect out of Blizzard, but I just like, I don't know, every time I just hope for better and I guess I need to just stop <laughs> or at least wait for the Microsoft acquisition to actually happen and and get rid of some of these um, upper management people, hopefully, and uh, have some culture changes based on larger like Microsoft corporate. And uh, yeah, hopefully the devs finally get what they deserve because right now they're just not being treated well. And I can't believe that they have anyone left working there, honestly. So yeah, but we'll have to see. And we'll keep you guys updated on the acquisition as we get closer and closer to June, because I'm sure that this is not the last that we've heard of it. So yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. It was great to be back. Thank you so much. If you want to join the conversation and let us know what you thought about anything we talked about this week, head on over to bit.ly slash TGI Discord. And don't forget to join in on the game club where they're playing Jedi Fallen Order. You can also follow us on Twitter. You can find me, Jocelyn at Joss Plays. Ryan is at R. Murphy. And don't forget to follow the show at The Gamers Inn. Thanks for staying at the Gamers Inn. Remember, tune in next week. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone.